We're going to be in 1 John this morning, chapter 3. 1 John, chapter 3. And man, there's a, there's a place where Paul is saying uh, he wants a letter of commendation, but he says, you, the church, you are my letter of commendation. And I would say to you, Providence, this morning, you are the sermon. You have been the sermon this morning. You have preached to one another. You have lifted up the name of Jesus. You have talked about the love of the Father. You've talked about the family of God. And you've even talked about the vine and abiding in the vine. And those are all of the things that we're going to talk about this morning in the next half hour. So it's almost as if I don't need to say anything. You have, you are the living, breathing, speaking sermon this morning. So thank you for your participation, your involvement. Thank you for being in tune with what the Spirit is doing. This is a season, as we head into Thanksgiving this week, this is a season of a lot of emotions, right? A lot of different emotions. Uh, some that I thought of, you may be really excited to get to spend time with family. You may be really happy about this week and looking forward to spending time over a Thanksgiving meal with your family. My son is home from college. I hope that he's excited to spend time with family. I hope he's looking forward to it. We are looking forward to it. We're thrilled to have him home. For some of you, it may be kind of a season of dread, like you're going to visit family and you're like, I, I just don't know what they're going to say this year. I just don't know how this meal is going to go. I just don't know if they're going to approve of what I'm doing with my life. I just don't know. And you've got this kind of anxiety. Maybe it's low-grade anxiety. Maybe it's high-grade anxiety. I know there's going to be stress and conflict, and so I'm not looking forward to spending time with family this season. And for some of you, maybe it's just loneliness. Like, I don't, I know this is supposed to be a family holiday, but my family was never there for me. My parents were absent. My father was absent. And this is just a reminder of his absence in my life. And so I feel loneliness. This morning, what I want to do is show you, regardless of where you're at in all of that, I want to show you, I want you to feel the love of your father, the unlimited love of your father. He loves you without any shadow of disapproval over you. He loves you. If you knew how much he loved you and you were looking forward to this morning, you were getting ready to come here this morning, and you knew you were just going to sit in his presence this morning, you, if you knew, if you really knew how much he loved you, you would have no dread. You would have no anxiety. Even in your sin, you would have no anxiety about coming and spending time with your father because you would know how much he loves you. Even there. Even there. That's my heart's desire for you this morning, that you would know. It's Paul's prayer in Ephesians. He says it this way, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's my prayer for you this morning. How many of you would say, in all humility, this is, I have to preface this because if you would say this, you are a humble person. In all humility, you would say, I'm, I'm walking close, closely with my father, and when I pray, he answers. How many of you would say that? Good, 
Good. We have a few of you here. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Do all of us a favor this morning. If you raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to just be praying throughout this service and pray this. Pray that this room, this body of believers would feel, would experience the love of God deep in their hearts. Just pray that. Just be in prayer for that. It's the Father's desire that you would know his love. It's his desire. And so you, are, you can pray that confidently, knowing that you're praying in line with his desires. And he has said, when you pray that way, he will answer. So be praying for that, because I just feel that we all need this this morning. We need to experience the love of God. So our text this morning is 1 John chapter 3, and we're just going to park on one short verse, and we're going to chew on it for a while. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. Let's pray. Father, just briefly, I just pray that you would do it. I pray that you would do what I just asked and that you would do what your sons and daughters throughout this room are going to be asking for the next half hour, that you would just send your spirit to affirm your love for us deep in our hearts, that we would actually feel it. We wouldn't just know it intellectually, but that we would feel it this morning, that we would feel your boundless love. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This week, we're moving on in our series. We started talking about loving our neighbor together. These, if you're new to Providence, these three loves over here on the wall, this is, this is what we see as our vision for this church. This is how we live the Christian life together. We love our neighbor together. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Jay preached on that. Jay spoke last week about loving our church family together. Today, we're going to speak about loving God together. And this is the one that is probably most important. This is the one that if you don't have this, you can't do the other two. Amen. This is the one, this is the love from which those things flow. So everything that we want for you as pastors in your obedience to Jesus, everything Jesus wants for you starts here with loving God together. And loving God is first and foremost a receiving of the love of God. It's critical to understand Loving God is first and foremost a receiving of the love, and, of, the love of God. John is going to say that in later in this, in this book, in this letter, in chapter 4, he's going to say, we didn't love him first. We love him because he loved us first. Amen. He loved us first, and we can't love him without that happening. And so this morning, I'm not going to come to you with a bunch of things for you to do in regard to loving God. I'm going to ask you to just sit before him and adore him and experience his love for you. Because if you experience his love for you, your heart cannot help but respond with love for him. It can't. You were created, you were created for love. You were created for God to pour out his loving kindness. Ephesians says his riches, his endless riches in kindness over you. You were created for this. You were hardwired to experience and know the love of God. And to the degree that you don't, that's broken and God wants to restore that. You were built, you were knit together to receive his love. And this love produces a response of love in your heart when it's felt appropriately. 
in his preface, Jay quoted this uh, last week, in his preface to Dane Ortland's book, Deeper, Michael Reeves writes this, the living God is so glorious and kind, he cannot be known without being adored. The living God is so glorious and kind, he cannot be known without being adored. To know him, to really know him, is to adore him. You can't help it. You can't help it. So that's my prayer for you as we, as we go through this verse today. We're just going to take it apart, piece by piece, and we're going to look at it for the next half hour or so. And my prayer is that as you would leave, you would continue this week meditating on this. It's simple. It's simple. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we would be called the children of God, and so we are. It is simple. And I pray it is, it is simple, and it's enormous. And it is enormous enough that you could spend the next 12 months meditating on this and letting the Spirit of God take it deep into your heart and plant it there. Because if it's planted there, it will produce things that you cannot comprehend in your life. It will produce a return love and adoration for this God out of which will flow your Christian life, your Christian responsibilities, your Christian activities. Out of that, those are the fruit of this seed that we want the Spirit of God to plant in our hearts this morning. So, first thing I want you to see is C. C. It's the first word of verse 1. Other translations use the word behold, and I actually like that better. I think that it conveys what John is doing here. John is, in this point in his letter, he's making an argument of how to know if you really are a Christian and how to distinguish true Christianity from the masquerade of religion. How do I know if I'm really a, Christ a Christian? And that's something that we've all asked as Christians, right? We ask that from time to time in, our, from time to time in my own life. Am I really, am I getting it? Is this real for me? I remember as a kid being tormented with that. Every time I would screw up as a kid, am I really a Christian? And so John is building this case of how to know. He doesn't want you to doubt. In fact, John is the one who said these things in his gospel are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you might have life through his name. So when John writes, he's writing to assure your heart before God. He's writing to remove doubt He's writing to convince you. And what he's convincing us of in this letter, this short little letter of 1 John is genuine faith, what genuine Christianity looks like, okay? So he's marching through, he's explaining that it doesn't look like sinlessness. If any of us say earlier in John chapter two, if any of us say that we don't have sin, we deceive ourselves. So it doesn't look like sinlessness. It looks like an appropriate understanding and brokenness over sin and a constant repentance over sin. And it doesn't look like watered-down theology. <laughs> it doesn't look like just following your heart. It actually comes with deep doctrine. And so what you believe about God, John says, really matters, really matters. It's also not a solo project, he says. This is something that we are doing together. And I, I think that we've emphasized that now. We're doing this together. This is not something you're doing alone. And so one of the ways that you know if your faith is genuine is if you have fellowship with other believers, if you feel a part of the family of God, if you're, if you're experiencing that. But then he gets here into this verse and he stops the arguing. 
he stops building his case and he just adores for a minute. He just shows us what it looks like to adore. He doesn't just tell us we should adore this God. He actually does it. It's almost as if he puts his pen down and lifts his hands and just says, I gotta, I've got to worship him for a minute. So I don't think that the ESV translation see what kind of love really does it justice, what he's doing here. He's telling us to behold, to pause and behold. How do you behold something? What does that even mean? It's interesting that MJ introduced her friend and talked about her Christian scuba diver club. My boys, my oldest two boys got their scuba diver, scuba, scuba diver licenses or certifications a couple of years ago as well as Jay's, a couple of Jay's boys. And uh, we went scuba diving together. We've gone. In fact, Braden said, what is a Christian scuba diving club? Like, do you just go down to the bottom of the ocean and sit crisscross applesauce and read an underwater Bible together? Sounds great. Sounds great. But uh, we were in Mexico. We were scuba diving. And we, we know this guy down there. We have an inn with a guy named Mimo, who is an expert diver. Yeah, Mimo. Uh, and this guy, this guy is part fish. I mean, he swims through the water like he was born there. And we are following Nemo. And so we've got to follow him. He's going to point out all the things because we're not familiar with it. We're barely familiar with the mountains, let alone under the ocean. And so he's pointing things out as we swim. He's like clicking a little metal thing on his tank and pointing to things for us to look at. And we're seeing all kinds of things. We're seeing coral. And we're seeing little tiny fish that are beautiful. And we're seeing bigger fish. And we're seeing some sharks. He's just pointing out all these things. And my boys and I, just uh, last year, were with him. And we wanted to see a turtle. We wanted to see a sea turtle. We were just hoping to see one. And all of a sudden, Mimo, it's Mimo, clicks his tank and points, and he does the turtle. What's the turtle symbol? There it is right there. It's this. He does this with his hand, and so we know there's a turtle, and we look around, and we see it. This turtle is massive. It's probably 300 pounds. This is a big turtle. This is not a little turtle. This is bigger than me, turtle, and it's swimming along, and you've got about 45 minutes, typically, for a beginner in a, in a tank of oxygen. You're going to spend about 45 minutes under the water on a dive, and we blew our entire tank of oxygen just following this turtle. We just swam, like, the arm's length away from this turtle. And we just watched him swim around. And he was eating, and so he was hunting for, uh, what was he hunting for? Hermit crabs, yeah. And so he would find these big shells, and he's got this beak that's razor sharp and super strong. And he would just take this big shell and crush it. And if there's anything in there, he'd eat it. And if there was nothing in there, he'd move on to the next one and crush it. And he was just swimming along doing this. He got one, broke it, and started eating it. And there was this other hermit crab, just it looked like an empty shell, sitting next to the one he had just eaten. And we see this shell just slowly start, like, slowly, nonchalantly, not drawing any attention to itself, just move away. And he got away. He didn't get eaten. But we just beheld this turtle. On that dive, we saw a lot of things. We beheld one really great epic thing. We paused and we followed it for the duration of our tanks. We just followed it and we loved it. It was the coolest thing, wasn't it? It was the coolest thing to see this 
to see this in front of our eyes. It was what we hoped for. We got to see it, but we didn't just see it and move on. We beheld it. Do you see the difference? John is encouraging us, exhorting us, inviting us to behold something here. Not just look at it and move on with our lives. Not just see this and then move on with our Bible reading plans or our devotions. He's inviting us to stop here and behold something really, really precious and huge. Behold this. We are formed by what we adore. We are formed by what we adore. As you look at this past year, as you look at this past week, what are the things you find yourself beholding, sitting in awe of, meditating on? If you're like me, it's a number of things. I'm not asking you this question to judge you. We're standing here this morning. We're sitting here this morning in the presence of a father who loves us. What do you behold? What do you adore in your day-to-day life? Depending on what you, when you catch me, it might be Netflix that I adore. It might be. It might be a series that I adore. What do you adore? This is the thing. This love that John is telling us to behold and adore This is what we want to be shaped by. This is it. Nothing else is going to shape us into the fullness of what we were created to be. We were were created and we are being shaped into the image of Jesus himself. That's our destiny. That's your destiny. A A child of God, a son or a daughter of the king. That's who you're being shaped into. Everything else is lesser and will deform you. But this beholding, just beholding, is enough to form you into that. And we'll see that in a minute. But this is what John's asking us to do. Just behold, behold. Next. Actually, before we move on, in in this little letter that John is writing to the churches, he uses the word abide 18 times. 18 times. Just before this, he uses it in the previous chapter 10 times. Throughout his letter, he uses that little word, abide, 18 times. Where does that come from for John? Where does that come from? Any thoughts? This love for this word, abide. Following the Lord, Lord, yep. Does it ring any bells? Jesus, yes. In the garden? Yes, John 15. There it is. In John chapter 15, Jesus uses it eight times in his sermon on what it means to abide in him and be with him. And it culminates in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, Jesus said, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. That sermon resonated with John. He wrote about it in his gospel, and he brings it back up here. He says it over and over. In fact, he echoes the very words of Jesus throughout that sermon in 1 John. Abide, abide. Jesus says, if you will abide in me and you ask my father anything, he will give it to you. John says later in this letter, if you abide in him and you ask him anything, he will give it to you. This little sermon that Jesus preached shaped and formed John. John is an old man now. He was probably a teenager in the garden. 
He has lived his life. He's old. He has seen a lot. And he's saying, if you get one thing from me, behold the love that the father has for you. If you get one thing, get this, behold it, abide in it. Don't just know it. Don't just make an intellectual assent of it. Behold it. Stay with it. Sit in it. Experience it. This is where we as elders want to spend time with you over this next year. This first and foremost, this more than anything else, we want you to feel and know the love of your father. That's what we want. We firmly believe that if you will spend time here and you get gripped by this love, you behold this love, it will change everything for you. It will change everything for you. We are formed by that which we adore. Next, he moves on. What kind of love? What kind of love? Kind here is also translated as manner in other translations, and it's actually a Greek idiom. A literal literal translation of the Greek would be, what country does this love come from? What country does this love come from? It was a Greek idiom. It's similar to our idiom. What planet are you from? (laughs) Right? We, We can resonate with that. What kind of love doesn't say that, but what planet is this love from makes a little more sense to us. We can see what John is saying here, and he uses that idiom. What country does this love come from? This is something altogether unlike even the best love we've ever experienced. It must come from somewhere else. It's foreign. It has its own culture and language, alien to our understanding. Here's how how different this love is, okay? Paul is going to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's from a different country. That's the sort of love that would make you say, what planet is this from? That God would make someone innocent to take on my sin off of me so that I could become innocent. That's what this love is like. That's what this love does. Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we got cleaned up, not after we prayed and asked for forgiveness and stopped sinning. While we were actively sinning against God, Christ died for us. What country is this from? What country is this from? It truly is from a different country. It really is. It's from a far off kingdom. The world around you cannot cannot show you or explain to you this love. In fact, John says that later on. The world doesn't understand us because it doesn't understand him. You cannot look around your experience and find this love and say, okay, it's like that. It is otherworldly. And it is infinite. It is so otherworldly that it is actually the Father himself It's not just a thing or a concept or an emotion. It is a person. And we're going to get to that next. I'm going to keep moving. We're going to get to that next. The Father has given to us. See what kind of love 
the Father has given to us. This word given is also translated lavished or bestowed. It means to give something to someone like in an event. The closest we can get to using this word properly is in a marriage or a wedding context. Betrothed would be a good word. But it's what happens when two people covenant together to love one another in such a way that both of their lives are transformed by it forever. It's the sort of thing this gift has given to us, this thing that the Father has given to us. Is this, this is the sort of giving that will change you for the rest of your life. It will change you. It's when you give your love to someone in such a way that it permanently alters their life and yours. This love has been poured out on us and we didn't earn it. It's completely unearned, unmerited favor, this love. And it is in the midst of our sin and our mistakes. It's in the midst of all of that. It's in the midst of all of the things that make us think that the Father doesn't really love us. It's in the midst of all of the things that kind of produce that low-grade anxiety when we think about spending time before the Father. It covers over all of those things and goes deeper and further back than any of those things. This river of love, what country did it come from? This river has a headquarters, a source, and actually this love has a name. Later in chapter four, John is going to say that God is love. He doesn't just give it. He is it. He is it. He is the love. This means that for him to give love is the same as him giving himself. That's what that has to mean. Do you follow the logic? If God is love and God gives love, God gives himself. He doesn't just feel a certain way towards you, though he does. He doesn't just think kind thoughts about you, though he does. And if you knew them, the psalmist says, they would outnumber the sand on the seashore. So he does think kind thoughts about you, but this is what he's giving us here is more. He gives us himself. And that makes all the sense in the world to Christians. This love did come from another country. He came from another country. He came from a kingdom that wasn't made with hands. An everlasting kingdom, older than the stars and bigger than a galaxy. He came across vast oceans of time and space. He was born in a manger, lived as a man, and gave his life as a ransom for his enemies while we were sinning against him. Jesus is the love that the Father has given to us. And this gift of love has permanently altered our life and his if we are in him. Permanently. And if you're not in him yet, this love will permanently alter your life. It will give you the things that you are looking for, even if you don't realize what you're looking for. What we are all looking for, what is broken in us is love. That's what we're looking for. And we try to find it in all of these lesser things, whether it's created things or people, relationships. We try to find this in all of these other places because we were created for it. We were created to have it, to find it, and to be shaped and formed by it. And that's what the Father has given us. This person, this carpenter from Galilee who is alive today, existing today, is for you. He's for you. Moving on. 
see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. We? We should be called the children of God? We shouldn't be called the children of God. We've already talked about the fact that this, this king lives in another country, doesn't he? How do we become children of his? This doesn't make sense in an earthly context. If we thought of a distant kingdom that was a really great place to live, and I don't know of any, <laughs> but if there was a really great place to live, it seems like everybody's got their problems and brokenness, but if there was a great place to live and it had a good king, I'd want to be a part of that. I might even be willing to be a citizen there. Maybe if it was that good, but I couldn't be a child of that king. That makes no sense. This is how great this love is. That this love isn't just given to us. It actually changes our legal status and brings us into the family of God. This is the theological concept of adoption. And it's why John says that our theology matters. That we can't know God if we don't know the right things about God. And this is crucial for us. And it's great news for us that this love means adoption. In other words, we were homeless on the street. God didn't just give us a burger. He didn't just write us a check for $1,000, which we would love. He didn't do that. He opened the door to his car and he said, come in, I've got a home for you. I've got a room for you. I've got a bed for you. I've got food for you. I will make you mine. You're mine now. You're, my, you're part of my family. You are as a part of my family as my own sons and daughters. Amen. Let's go. That's what this love is. That is why John is saying, behold it. Just sit in this. It's yours. The kingdom is yours. It's yours. You're a son and a daughter. You're no longer astray. You're no longer an outcast. You are a child of this king from another country. Paul writes in Romans, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We are as much a son or a daughter of God as Jesus Christ is the son of God. If he is, we are. That's what this means. And as much as he is the son of God, we are the children of God. We're not a second class child. We're not. We don't get the room in the basement with no windows. <laughs> We're in the house. It's our house. It's our inheritance. As much as it is our older brother Jesus's inheritance, it's ours too. Galatians, Paul writes, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. That's us. So that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. 
there's an interesting thing here happening that Paul says in both of those things. Right after telling us this good news that we're adopted, he says our good, loving father has also sent his spirit into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. He says it in Romans, and he says it in Galatians. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, why? Why does God do that? He's adopted us. Why does he send his spirit into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father? Can you imagine for a minute, maybe some of you were, being adopted by a good father. Do you think there'd ever be a time where you doubted his love for you? I think so. We were just on a short trip uh, to Minneapolis and we heard this woman who grew up in all kinds of foster homes and had a really rough experience. Uh, She now is married, she has children and they brought in an exchange student. And the exchange student didn't speak English yet but she stocked her pantry full of snacks and food for this child. And the child would just sit there and not eat anything, not drink anything. And she would say, we could only, we could communicate through like gestures and nods. So if I would say, do you want a glass of water? He would say yes, but he would never just go get a glass of water. If I'd hold up a snack and say, do you want a snack? He'd nod his head and say yes, but he'd never go into the pantry and get a snack. And she said, so I had to tell, I had to explain to him as best I could, listen, you are my kid while you're in this house. All of the food, my kids don't ask me if they can eat it. All of the food in the pantry belongs to them. The water coming from the faucet belongs to them. They don't ask if they can get a drink of water. They just get it. That's us. That is us. How many times do we, we know it, we know it, but we don't behold it. And so we're not formed by it. And so we don't feel it sometimes. We don't feel that he loves us. We feel like we barely got in out of luck. We like drew the winning ticket. And so we're in, but if he had anything to do with it, we'd be back out. Right? We think that we might get kicked out of the house if he knew That's not true. And that's why he sends his spirit into our hearts to cry out, Abba, Father. It's for those moments when we can't. Oh, man. If you knew. If we knew his love for us. We just sit in it. What keeps us from crying out, Abba, Father? What prevents us from relating to him and experiencing this love? John says it throughout this letter. He says, disobedience will cause you to doubt it and and feel like you're not an heir. Conflict with your brothers and sisters will make you feel like you're not an heir. Bad theology will make you doubt your sonship or your daughtership and fear. Fear, which is what the enemy uses against us, doesn't he? One of his tools, one of his weapons is the spirit of fear. He wants you, your enemy wants you to be afraid of this father. Your enemy wants you to only see him as this mighty, omnipotent, and distant God. He's not afraid of you believing that because he himself believes in God. 
He does. James tells us that. He believes that God is all-powerful, that God is mighty. He's not afraid of that. He does not want you to relate to this God as your father. He doesn't want that. And so he will use fear against you. Later on, John is going to say, even our own hearts condemn us. Even our own hearts get in the way of us experiencing and feeling this love of God. And it's for those moments, it's exactly those moments when you don't feel like you're a child of God, that his spirit is in your heart to help you get through that and say the words for you when you can't. So that as you hear the spirit crying out, Abba, Father, you say, yes, yes, he's my father. He's my father. Behold, see what kind of love. The adoption is done. It's on paper. This is identity. This is taking your legal standing and fleshing it out into your day-to-day, giving you access to the pantry. That's what the spirit is for. That's what he's doing. And that's what all of these people are praying that you would experience this morning. They are praying that you would feel the spirit within you cry out, Abba, Father, and you would feel this love from a distant country. You'd feel it because if you feel it, you will want to be shaped by it. You will want this love to change everything about you. You will want to open up every chamber of your heart and give this love access to your heart. That's what you're going to want as you feel it. And that's why your brothers and sisters are praying that you would feel it this morning. Your adoption stands. It is fixed. It's fixed and no one can ever undo it. For your father to no longer be your father, he would have to die. And he defeated death. He cannot die and you cannot unadopt yourself. You can't. You can't. You are his. He has made you his child. And the text says, so you are. Later on in verse 3, 2 and 3, John says, We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. John is saying, you are shaped by what you adore. As we adore this love, as we sit in it and soak in it, we are transformed by it. And when he comes, we will look like dad. We'll look like him as he completes this work in us. So my time is up. In conclusion, I want to just take a moment of silence and ask ourselves a question. When was the last time I sat and beheld the love of God to the point that I was moved to adoration. This is what we do together. All of this stuff that John is talking about is in the plural. We are children of God. This is good news for me. It is great news for us because it gives us the family that we need and that we've wanted. This is what we do together. Loving our neighbors together is vital. Loving one another as brothers and sisters is vital and a mark of the family of God. But this, this beholding the otherworldly love of God and being shaped by it, this is our oxygen. If we miss this, we'll miss all of it. 
We want a lot of good and glorious things for you as our church family in the coming year, but we want this for you more than anything because we believe that we are shaped by what we adore. So to close this out, I just want to invite you into John's space here and ask you to spend just a couple minutes beholding the love of your father. Maybe you just want to read verse one during this time over and over and just let verse one wash over your soul. That would be appropriate. That's beholding. Perhaps you want to just let your eyes rest on the phrase, and so you are, and let the Holy Spirit affirm and confirm your identity as a child of God. Maybe you just want to ask God to open your eyes wider so you can see more of him and be shaped and formed by him. Or maybe, maybe all of this is new and strange to you. Maybe it sounds too good to be true. It might be helpful for you to ask the Father to reveal himself to you in these next couple of minutes. It's his heart's desire that you would know him. So he will do that. He will do that if you ask him to do it. To make these words from John an invitation for you to step into the family of God and belong and become his child. He will do that if you ask him to. So at the end of the service, we're going we're gonna to spend a couple of minutes, two minutes in silence. I'm going to pray and we'll be done. We're going to have a song. We'll have the prayer team up here to pray with you. If you just, I would invite you to come up and pray, no matter where you're at in life. I don't know where you're at, but where you're at in your experience of the love of God or lack of experience of the love of God, we would love to pray with you up here. If you're not yet in the family of God, but you're curious about it or you want to be in the family of God, we would love to pray with you and show you how you can do that up here at the end of the service. So take two minutes beholding the love of the Father, and then I'll close in prayer.